Well, we're going to continue uh, our series that we uh, began, uh, preparing for Easter, five things that are true of us because of the cross. I have a question for you. What comes to mind when you think of the word power? Uh, for many people, they immediately think of, you know, personal physical strength. I remember years ago, a group of evangelists named the Power Team uh, came to uh, the Rap City Civic Center, and we took a group of youth up to see them, and they, they performed awe-inspiring feats of strength uh, as part of their uh, presentation of the gospel. They would do things like take a, a brand-new baseball bat and put it behind their back and then around their arms and then snap it across their back, and they would smash big blocks, cinder blocks with their hands or, or huge blocks of ice with their shoulder. I remember one guy got on stage and they had a telephone pole on stage and he hoisted that pole up by himself and onto his shoulder and then walked it out of the auditorium. It was just incredible stuff uh, that they were doing. And, and So maybe you think of physical power or maybe you think of uh, mechanical strength, mechanical power. You know, like, like every pickup ad on TV, right? Everyone tells you that their pickup is more powerful than the competitors. So Ford has more power than Dodge, and Dodge has more power than Chevrolet, and Chevrolet has more power than, I don't know, really something, I suppose. I don't know. <laughs> you get the point, right? Or maybe you think of political power, right? Our side got more votes than your side, and so now we're in control and we get to do the stuff we want or or there's economic power right it seems like those who have a whole lot of money have more power than those who do not and and, and the truth is the pursuit of power is really a major theme in our culture but have you ever noticed how a great many people will refuse or miss the source of real power. That's what we're talking about this morning. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And the passage we'll be looking at is uh, verses 18 through 25. And I know it's kind of lengthy and we're running a little short on time, but I'm going to read the whole passage anyways to get it in our hearts and, and our minds. And we're going to go a little over time. I'll just prepare you for that anyways. So uh, that's that'll be fine. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting with verse 18 says this for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved it is the power of God for it is written I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside where is the wise man where is the scribe where is the debater of this age has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. 
Father God, we thank you for the opportunity we've had to worship in, in all these aspects this morning. But now, God, we're asking for your spirit to work in hearts and minds as we look into your word. May you be our teacher this morning, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in these verses, uh, you may have noticed as we read them, we have one of those classic on the one hand and on the other hand type of scenarios, right? And on the one hand, we have uh, those people uh, to which the cross is a problem, right? They don't see any good in it. To them, it is a picture of weakness and, and or disgrace. But on the other hand, it says that you have those who are trusting God and therefore experience the power of God because of the cross. And, and between those two positions, there's obviously a very great divide, and both sides can, can look at the exact same information, the exact same uh, uh, words, and come to two very different conclusions. And the Apostle Paul, he, he elaborates on that idea in these verses, right? And he gives two general examples of how the cross is viewed as a problem in this world. And, and we need to keep in mind, um, as he made clear in here, that these examples are generalizations, right? Uh, Paul says that the cross to Jews is a stumbling block, and to Greeks it's uh, foolishness. And so he does not mean to imply in that uh, generalization that all Jews will stumble over the cross. I mean, he himself, right, is an example uh, of a Jew that has come to accept the, the purpose and the meaning of the cross. Uh, uh, DJ's sister, Jody, works with a, a missions organization in Israel. She goes over there every, every couple of years and spends uh, several weeks over there. And their main purpose is to show the love of Christ to uh, specifically targeting all these Jews who are now moving back to Israel from all over the world. And she has many stories uh, of them opening their hearts and their lives to Jesus Christ through the cross. Uh, and, and so there's some that will come to faith. But, but, but for the most part, Paul's generalization there holds true, and it, and it especially did back in the day when he was writing it. And in the same way, uh, he does not mean to say that all Greeks will view the cross as foolishness. I mean, we see hundreds and hundreds uh, of Greeks turning to Jesus Christ as you read the book of Acts, right? Um, and, and they're coming uh, to Christ that way. In fact, most of the Christians that, that would have received this letter in the city of Corinth would have been Greeks. And, and yet, that generalization that to the Greeks the cross is foolishness holds true. And by the way, I hope you understand, just a quick side note here, you know that the term Greek as it's being used here does not mean just the people who are from the country of Greece. Uh, the, the Jews use the term Greek to refer to everybody that wasn't Jewish, uh, just like they use the term Gentile that way. They're kind of interchangeable. You'll see that in this passage. Greek was the c dominant culture of the time. Greek was the language that was spoken all over the world and in the business and stuff like that. So, so people were just categorized as either, in, in the Jewish eyes, to either you're either Jew or you're Greek, or you're Jew or you're Gentile. It meant just everybody who wasn't a Jew. And, and, and if you're going to get uh, even more technical, they actually subdivided the Greeks or the Gentiles into two um, uh, categories. Uh, you the Greeks were those who were considered the, the civilized people. 
uh, of other nations, non-Jewish civilized people, right? And, and then they had the barbarians. That was all the rest. So you'll see that term sometimes in scriptures too, Greeks, barbarians, Jews. Just keep that straight um, in there. Um, that's what, uh, that's what uh, Paul was saying to, to the Jewish people. The cross was a stumbling block to everybody else, the non-Jews. It was foolishness. And uh, if you know anything uh, about the, the history and the culture of the Jewish people, you, you know why the cross was a stumbling block to them. I mean, they had been earnestly seeking this, this Messiah, this Savior that, that would come. I mean, they, they desperately hoped for this, this coming of the Deliverer who would redeem them. I mean, it had been repeatedly promised and, and predicted and prophesied throughout God's Word. And the problem is, uh, as they studied the old, what we call the Old Testament, God's Word at that time, they had developed their own view of exactly what this Messiah would be like and what he would do. And, and the Jewish religious teachers uh, taught uh, uh, one thing, and, and then they conveniently ignored uh, or twisted into some other time of meaning all of those Old Testament passages that that didn't fit what they wanted. Things like Psalm 22 where it says, uh, For dogs have surrounded me. Uh, a band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I, I can count all my bones. They look, they stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. Or Isaiah 53, right? But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Uh, the chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. These verses, they show the, this Messiah uh, as a suffering servant uh, and coming to die. And those kinds of verses don't fit in well with the picture that the religious leaders had painted and what they expected or they wanted for their Messiah. And so they basically just kind of ignored those kinds of passages. And instead, they would focus on all the passages uh, in the Bible that talked about the Messiah's eternal kingdom and how he would reign over all the earth and over all nations. They enjoyed those verses that showed Israel being the center uh, of political power and religion. They adored all those predictions that showed the, the people of the world streaming to Jerusalem to kneel before this, this monarch of Israel. That's the kind of Messiah that they wanted. So uh, by the time Jesus showed up on the scene, the, the average Jew was just absolutely certain that the, the Messiah would be born into some rich and, and noble family, uh, obviously from the line of, of David. Uh, they believed that he would come onto the scene with, with dazzling fanfare and power. And, and that's why... As verse 22 states, it says, For indeed, Jews ask for signs. They, they were looking for this, this dazzling fanfare, the signs that would alert everybody to the fact that, hey, the Messiah is now on the scene. They wanted the red carpet rolled out and trumpets blaring and the news cameras, you know, all focused uh, on, on this Messiah. That's what they expected. And they were certain, certain that the Messiah would be a man of prestige and honor. They were absolutely convinced that he would raise up 
this mighty army and, and, and become a liberating force and conquer the, Ro the Romans. And, and then he would establish Jerusalem as the capital of the world and, and the temple would be the center uh, of all religion. And you know what? The cross does not fit into that scene. The, the very idea that the Messiah might die, let alone die on a cross, was just repugnant to the Jews. Uh, death on a cross meant, meant a person was, was cursed by God. I mean, after all, Deuteronomy 21-23 says that anyone who's hung on a tree is under God's curse. So obviously, that could never happen to the Messiah. I mean, he's, he's God's anointed, right? And so therefore... When the apostles and the, and the early Christians went around preaching and they say, Hey, man, have I got some good news for you. Jesus Christ is the Messiah and he died for you. And they're like, say what? Uh, no, that, that can't be right. What do you, what do you mean the Messiah was, was crucified? It, it can't work that way. And so the Jews, for the most part, just outright rejected that idea. The Savior wouldn't die, would he? The Messiah wouldn't experience God's curse, would he? And the cross was too big of a stumbling block for most of them to get over. They would not believe that a person who had been crucified could be from for the Greeks, the, the cross posed a little bit different kind of problem. Verse 22 says the Greeks search for wisdom, right? And, and even histo uh, uh, secular historians would agree with that statement, right? The Greeks were in love with the idea of human wisdom. Philosophy is actually a Greek word. All of you, all of you guys know a little bit of Greek, even if you don't know you do. You know some Greek. You know Philadelphia? Right? City of what? Brotherly love. See, you know Greek. Philadelphia means brotherly love, right? Philosophy is a Greek word that means love of wisdom. Love of wisdom. And the Greeks followed that. Their cu culture practically worshipped education. Sounds somewhat similar to American culture, doesn't it? Un unfortunately, almost without exception, Man's wisdom tends to elevate himself and lower his view of God. I mean, human wisdom, by its, by its very nature, caters to man's self-will and his pride and, and, and promotes his, his fleshly inclinations and independence, right? And so in this intense pursuit uh, of wisdom, the Greeks developed dozens and dozens of, of different philosophical and religious systems. And, and that's why they had so many different gods and goddesses and, and, and idols back in that culture. And for them, the more complex the system was, the better, because, you know, complexity obviously means you're smarter and, and, and more wise. And so they, they, they liked the more complex, and they loved to hear about all kinds of new systems just in case something they heard was better than what they were already doing. 
and, and so they, they were always trying to share this wisdom back and forth with one another. That was what was happening to the Apostle Paul, actually, when he visited the city of Athens. If you, if you read that account in Acts chapter 17, uh, you can find it. But in, in, in a nutshell, he was wandering around the city of Athens and, and just was overwhelmed by the hundreds and hundreds uh, of different idols that he saw representing dozens upon dozens of, of different philosophical and religious systems that the people were following. And, and so he started preaching. Well, when he did, all the people said, hey, a new philosophy, this is great. Let's, let's bring him in. And, and uh, starting at verse 19 in Acts 17, it says, and they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new teaching is which you are proclaiming. For you are bringing some strange things to our ears, and we want to know what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. I mean, that's, that's all they wanted to do was, was check out all these new philosophies. And the Greeks searched after that wisdom. But they only wanted a human wisdom, a, a wisdom that, that they could understand, that followed their rationale and their logic uh, so that they could comprehend it and, and understand it. Uh, they didn't really respond to God's wisdom, which is often very counter to what man would think, as is evident if you continue reading in Acts 17, you'll see that most of the people rejected what Paul had to say since God's wisdom didn't make sense to them. So on the one hand, we have the cross as a, as, as a stumbling block and, and foolishness, but on the other hand, to those who are being saved, it says it is the, the power of of God, right? And, and we know God's demonstrated his amazing power in, in, in multiple different ways. I mean, he spoke into the void of nothingness, and boom, heavens and earth were created, right? He took the, the dust of the ground and formed man and breathed into him the breath of life. When when his people were trapped by the Red Sea and the pursuing armies of, of Egypt, God parted the sea and gave them an escape route on dry land while holding off the armies of Pharaoh with a pillar of fire. I mean, all kinds of amazing feats of God's power. But as you read the Bible, you'll understand that the greatest demonstration of his power took place at the cross because it was at the cross that the sins of the entire human race were heaped upon the body of Christ and on the cross the inescapable penalty of sin was paid in full so that now we could be debt free our debt canceled out and made no on the cross redemption and forgiveness of sins was purchased so that so that we could be reconciled and have that right and good relationship with God and on the cross Jesus did all the work that we needed for salvation so that we could be set free from that system of having to to try to earn it to be good enough to to work for our salvation those were all things that that man could not do by himself and so that is why the power of, of God is so demonstrated in the cross the power of God to those who are being saved so the, the question of course 
is, you know, this is 2,000 years ago. Is, is that still true today? Is the cross still a stumbling block and foolishness to some? And is it still the power of God to others? Of course, you know, the answer is yes. The cross is a stumbling block. To the person who believes that by good living and high moral standards, they can please God enough to gain entrance into heaven, then the cross is a stumbling block. You don't need a cross if you can earn your way in by, by being good enough. And people who expect to gain God's favor simply because of their national heritage. You know, the idea, hey, of course I'm a Christian. I'm an, I'm an American, aren't I? You know? Then they'll find the cross a stumbling block. If a person is sure they're going to go to heaven simply because of the family they belong to or the church they go to or some religious ritual that they have gone through, well, then, then the cross can be a stumbling block. And you know, the cross is foolishness to those who believe that everybody will go to heaven because, you know, God is too loving to punish people for their sins. I mean, why would God punish Jesus by sending him to the cross if he's unwilling to punish people who refuse to accept Jesus? If everybody's just going to go to heaven, why do you need the cross? The cross is foolishness to those who deny the reality of sin. There's no need for a, a Savior then. The cross is foolishness to those who believe that there is some other way to salvation. I don't know if you saw this in the news or not. This last week, Louis uh, Farrakhan, Farrakhan, I don't remember how you pronounce his last name. He, he's one of the, uh, the leaders in the United States of, of the nation of Islam here. He said this just this last week, quote, God does not love this world. God never sent Jesus to die for this world. Jesus died because he was 2,000 years too soon to bring about the end of civilization for the Jews. He never was on a cross. There was no Calvary for that Jesus. You see, to Farrakhan, the cross is foolishness. The cross is foolishness to those who believe that at his core, man is basically good. And with the right education and the right training and the right environment, well, then man can solve all his problems and can bring us into an age of utopia. The cross was a stumbling block and foolishness in Paul's day, and it is still a stumbling block and foolishness today. And it will be until Jesus Christ returns. And do you know why that is? Because when you honestly look at the cross, it tells us some very unpalatable truths about ourselves. See, the cross reminds us that we're sinners. The horribleness and the pain and the agony and the shed blood that that were there on the cross was, was there in order to pay that price for your sin. So you cannot, you cannot look at the cross 
and not be reminded of how awful sin was. That's what Jesus had to go through because of sin. And then you think that it was my sin, my sin, that put him there on the cross. Beyond that, the cross reminds us that because of sin, we're under the, the condemnation and the judgment of God. That, that The cross was the very picture of God's judgment of sin. It must be dealt with. The penalty must be paid. And, and Jesus Christ, he, he bore our sins and, and condemnation for us on the cross because we could gain release from them in no other way. I mean, if we could have been forgiven uh, by our own good works, or by any other means, you could be certain there would be no cross. So any person who takes any type of honest look at the cross has to hear Jesus saying to them, I'm here because of you. It's your sin that I'm bearing, your curse that I'm suffering, your death that I am dying. And nothing all of history cuts us down to size like the cross. And so it's rejected. It's foolishness. It's a stumbling block to many people. But you notice that it says it's foolishness to those who are perishing. And those who are perishing those are the ones who are trying to tell us that the cross belongs to an age of superstition and mythology. They say, you know, that modern man doesn't need it. We, we are told that science will be man's salvation, right? Everything we need for life and for the unknown that comes after, well, that will eventually be discovered and mastered in, in, in the laboratory, right? They say that we're stupid for believing in the cross, for believing that someone's death 2,000 years ago could forgive our sins today. They say that the cross is for those who are weak-minded, for those who need some kind of an emotional crutch in order to make it through life. That's what they say. But you know what? I'm not going to listen to what those who are perishing have to say about the cross. All the wisdom of the world never led man to God. And yet in one terrible, horrendous, wonderful act of the cross, God destroyed the wisdom of the wise. He set aside the, the cleverness of the clever, right? Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? They cannot stand against the wisdom of God because even the so-called foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of man. And therefore, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. And to those who are be being saved because of the cross, we get to experience the power of God. Not just the power of salvation, the, the power of sins forgiven and cleansed and, and washed off your slate. 
It's the power to transform your life. The power to break the change of addiction and sin. The power to give you meaning and purpose in life. The power to heal broken hearts and to mend shattered lives. It's the power to do right and to live courageously. It's the power of hope when you are surrounded by despair. It's the, it's the power of love when you are bombarded with hate on every side. It is the power of peace when life is chaos all around you. All the power of God is available to you because of So are you experiencing the power of God today? Or is the cross a stumbling block to you? The man in his pride, he figures out, he, he believes, I, 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 gotta, I gotta do something. I, I've got to earn this. But the power of God available to you because of the cross is there simply for acceptance. Let's pray. Father God, we're so grateful that the power of the cross is ours. The power of new life. The power of broken chains. The power of forgiveness. God, I pray that each and every person here this morning would have experienced that power and would currently be experiencing that power in their life. God, we know we need it day by day because just as we were reminded earlier, we, we are weak. We stumble and fail. So we need to take advantage of the power of God. Thank you that you've made that available to us pray this in Jesus' name.